Hey, I'm Ruben from Dub. Welcome to Connection Loop, our actionable podcast about building businesses with daily human connections. Connection Loop features long form interviews with fascinating people in sales, marketing, and beyond. Enjoy today's episode and learn more about Dub at dub.com. And we are live. Hey guys, this is Ruben from Dub's podcast, Connection Loop. Uh, today I'm on with Laura Nutt and Laura, we are going to get into four really important topics that you've now presented for us, purpose, authenticity, resilience, and equity. Yes. Um, which is amazing. Could you please start with just a quick bio on yourself and then let's just get into this. Sure. So um, I've actually been in mental health for about uh, seven years. So I'm a licensed professional counselor supervisor in the state of Texas. So, hey, y'all. Um, and I've also, Texas. That's right. Everything's bigger and better in Texas. You know, I'm a little biased, but I'm going to roll with it. It's I'm bringing the clout from down south. So what you see is what you get. Um, <laughs> so I've been in mental health for a while. Um, I also am venturing out into life coaching, coaching, excuse me. Uh, kind of helping people just align their purpose, um, making meaning um, and empowering people to embrace themselves and to spread that awareness to the world and just really celebrate themselves and not hold back anymore and just give a voice to those who are unheard. Hmm. So I'll start with this. When, how many hundreds or thousands of years ago did the human race start to, to realize or to, to believe that mental health was not something that should be talked about? Like if we're sick or if we're in pain or if we get cut yeah. or if something happens to our physical body, we talk to people about it. We say, hey, I got a problem, whether it's a doc or a shaman or a healer or whatever it was. Mm -hmm. But mental health, you know, if we're feeling certain things, when did that start to become the way that human beings just do it? <laughs> and by do it, I mean not talk about their mental health issues. Yeah, it's amazing that you bring that up. And I love that you did because for a long time, you know, mental health was kind of like stigma and taboo. You know, it was kind of like mental health. Like, in fact, uh, people were institutionalized for their whole life just for like having a crying spell. And that's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. That's just being yeah. human. Right. You know, we have, um, and then we had a whole period of deinstitutionalization where they actually released everybody who'd been in a mental health um, ward for many, many years and just expected them to just fit in. And no, you know, it's mental health is health overall. Our mindset is key to everything. And really up until a few years ago, mental health was still very much a stigma. Um, and it is even more in, within uh, the community, certain communities um, and populations, and especially with men, there's still a lot of a stigma with, you know, sharing that openness and vulnerability. So now we actually have seen a shift where people are more willing to open up and talk about it and realize, hey, I need help. You know, I'm, I'm too stuck in my head and I'm just entrenched in this difficult place. And I need somebody kind of standing on the outside, reaching a hand down saying, hey, help me. But yeah, absolutely. For hundreds of thousands of years, we thought that mental illness meant something was wrong with you. And it's not even mental illness. It's just mental wellness. And so I'm so thankful that it's finally starting to shift. Um, and now it's almost like counseling is the cool thing, which is kind of kind of crazy in my mind because growing up, it was like, no, you don't talk to a counselor. Like you're the crazy person if you do that, or there's just something fundamentally wrong with you. And now we're embracing it as mental health is physical health. It's spiritual health. It's, it's mm. emotional health. It's social health. It's, it's more of a holistic approach, which is a beautiful shift to see. And I'm so happy to be on the cutting edge of that movement. It's such an important thing. You know, I think of, I think of media and I think the way that um, mental health has been historically portrayed in media and, and I, you know, I believe I'm a believer in this idea that that art creates reality and that reality creates art. And it's just this mm -hmm. continual, 
continual cycle. And, yeah. uh, you know, I, I remember growing up, I, I had kind of a, a sprint with my, with my son watching all sorts of some of my favorite movies from my heyday, from just growing up. And we, we started yeah. actually this whole thing catalyzed with um, Bill and Ted face the music. So huge shout out to that. But we, we ended up watching some of my faves like Spaceballs and the original Bill and Ted. Yes. <laughs> Bogus Avengers. Yeah. Prince, Princess Bride was on the list. So oh, yeah. And, and the reason why I, I think this was interesting for me, because as I started to watch about how mental health, um, you know, feelings of sadness, you know, crying, uh, depression, how some of those topics are handled in media, you know, this idea in the, in the classic 80s and 90s movies, it's like, oh, well, it's some Hollywood, super stressed Hollywood executive. And, oh, let me talk to my shrink about this. And I was talking to my shrink and they said this. And, you know, it's just shrink, that, that, that word. That is, word, is even, yeah derogatory (laughs) i don't shrink people's minds people i don't i help actually them grow and expand it's the opposite i'm like expander not shrinker exactly you know i I did not shrink the mind i helped grow the mind (laughs) you know and there's just there's so many just funny ways that it's portrayed and and maybe funny is not the right word but i just think inappropriate and then i and then i was on another kick of how on it on a separate topic which misogyny like watching space balls you know, I, when I when I was when I grew up and I was watching that film, you know, classic Mel Brooks, very funny, very theatrical, very tongue in cheek, over the top. You yeah. know, it's a massive parody of Star Wars and every Star Wars, you know, Star Wars movie. <laughs> but it's extremely misogynistic. It's it's in it's inappropriate, you know. And all these themes that you know I think are so important. Many of the themes that actually you're referencing that you want to talk about, which I'm psyched to get into, are themes that growing up, many of us might have seen those portrayed in a way that's actually not favorable, not progressive, not something that we should be doing or, or yeah. right? And so it was what, what not to do, right? <laughs> what not to do. And back then, you don't think about it. You don't think about it, you know? Yeah. Especially if you're a kid, if you're a 13-year-old kid watching Spaceballs, yeah. you, you don't understand that. So you know, how, how do we fix all these issues? What's what's happening in our society right now? What's changing? And how do we expand and not shrink? Exactly. Um, well, I think the key thing is, um, like you spoke about, awareness. I think being aware of those subliminal messages that we received and really trying to unlearn what we've learned and kind of unprogram or deprogram what we've been programmed. Um, because I talk a lot about that Um I do talk also a lot about from the diversity, equity and inclusion uh, component is we've been programmed. You know, we've all been programmed to uh, talk about people in a certain way or see situations in a third. I can't even talk certain way. And it's just really sad because we we don't realize the preconceived notions and biases that we have um, that we learned growing up. And mental health is the same way. There is a stigma um, in mental health. There is a stigma about diversity. There is a stigma in equity. There is a stigma in inclusion. There is a stigma about resilience and authenticity and purpose. I mean, they all have stigmas that we believe that are not true because 
skepticism is just a lack of knowledge. You know, mm. we're skeptical of what we don't know and we're afraid of what's different and what and what we haven't experienced. So we naturally put this categorization of, oh, well, this must be this because this makes sense to me. This is what I'm comfortable with. Well, no. Well, now it's time to uh, get comfortable with being uncomfortable because the world has forced us to do that. Everything going on with racial tensions, with uh, systemic oppression that's always been going on, but it's been brought to the forefront um, just due to situations. COVID has turned our world upside down and it has forced us to literally look at the problems that have always been there. So for mental health, my purpose is to spread awareness, is to be like, hey, mental health is a real thing. You know, mindset is everything um, because sadly we we continue to lose beautiful souls because they were not able to tell their story. They were not able to be heard when they needed to most. Sadly, people experience um, physical conditions because of their mental health. I mean, people experience difficulties in relationships, in uh, the social space, in the workplace because of mental health. And it's just something that we cannot ignore. We have to address it for each and every person in their own special way. So I always want to bring that platform for people to just tell their story because telling your story in itself is healing. You know, just just bringing, just giving, just giving that space, you know, that table, pulling up chairs and saying, hey, you know what? I don't know it all. I want to learn from you. What what is going on in your world? What is it like in your world? Help me to understand, and then let's figure out together where you need help, where you need that equity, that success to help bring you up to where you want to be and where you should be. Let's help you to build that resilience, to build that that ability to bounce back from those difficulties that you've been through, and to encourage you in what you've been through. It's not a negative thing on what you've been through. It's a strength. It's a form of mm -hmm. resilience that pushes right. you forward. You know, it, it's not a crutch. It's a triumph. Each tragedy that you've been through, it's, like for me, I say all the time. You know, I wear my battle scars with with pride. I have, it reminds me of what I've been through and what I'm capable of. And so I always tell everyone, embrace them. Don't hide them. Embrace them and celebrate them because it speaks to your character. It speaks to who you are. And so just creating that awareness of that awesome, that authenticity within ourselves. And that helps us to spread authenticity around us. If we can do it internally, we can spread it externally and to give people a purpose just to say, mm. we're all here with a purpose. Let's figure out what that is and let's amplify that purpose into the world. And to me, that's how we spread the message of mental health is important. It's paramount and it's going to happen. So just either you're with it or get out of the way because <laughs> it's coming regardless. <laughs> I, as you were saying that, um, I was kind of inspired and I had this revelation that I've now heard so many compelling stories, so many real human stories about um, sure. trial, tribulation and um, strife and struggle. So many just, you know, suicidal thoughts and massive failures and you know families falling apart and near-death experiences and you know all these forms of trauma you know childhood traumas and i realize i'm just choking up thinking about this i realize that every time i hear it i feel compassion mm -hmm. i never feel judgment i never feel like well, this person's broken you know i feel this person's been through something yeah. And they've evolved. Yeah. You know? Definitely. <laughs> and it, it, it blows me away because some people, unfortunately, they don't want to share those stories. And it's without without those stories, who would we truly be? I mean, all ice cream starts with vanilla ice cream to a certain extent. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I mean, it you starts know? with this base. Yeah, it starts with you the know? base. 
you're talking about. And, and, and I think that's beautiful that, that you're showing another key thing right there is compassion. You know, compassion for hearing someone's story rather than judging mm -hmm. and sitting and looking back and going, oh, well, that's not a big deal or that really wasn't, you know, whatever. It doesn't matter what you think. Mm -hmm. it, what matters is how it affected that person. Because that was something that I definitely learned because um, being in mental health, I worked in corrections for three years. And that's kind of how I started out my my journey um, as a mental health practitioner. And so when I transitioned to a university setting, it was kind of hard for me because hearing some of the difficulties that the students were describing to me was like, that doesn't sound legit at all. You know, that's not, that's not a problem. But then I had to shift my perspective because that was being judgmental because, mm. you know, I was used to kind of hearing, I mean, these stories that you hear in the movies, the statistical stories, you know, these just awful stories. And then when I'm hearing, I got to be, my life is over, you know, it was kind of hard for me to find that empathetic place. But then when I, I stepped into the role of the student saying, well, for them, it's a big deal. It doesn't, mm. it's not about me, it's about them. For them, it's a struggle. They've had straight A's their whole life and now they, they got their first B and it's devastating to them. It's devastating to them as a person. They feel like they've failed, they're a horrible person. And I, I need to just put my pride aside and step into where they are and sit and be quiet. So I love that you mentioned compassion. Empathy is another thing. It's just stepping into their shoes you know, compassion is showing that mercy, but just thinking of, wow, you know, like I, I can't fully understand your experience, but I could see how you could feel distraught. I could, I could see how you could feel like everything is just falling underneath you because you've never experienced this before. And that's how we can connect. Even if I haven't had that exact experience, I can connect with you on the, on the shared emotions that I've had before. So it's so powerful. Those moments are just so healing. As I, as I heal uh, with for my a physical ailment, which is my broken hip now, yes, it's been a couple of days, and uh, I I realized that being asked so many times, I've been probably asked in the last week, uh, you know, what is your pain level out of ten? Right, that's mm. a very common thing. You go to the hospital, there's a chart, yeah. there's the slightly unhappy face with the line <laughs> all the way to the fiery hot, <laughs> a miserable face, right? And, you know, I realized that that chart is all relative to the individual that's feeling the struggle and the pain. Very it, much. It, it doesn't say number 10 is getting hit by a semi truck and number one is getting, you know, pricked with a paperclip. It doesn't say that. It just asks right. you to your own perspective what amount of pain are you going through? And I think that the takeaway for me in that is that when it when it's relevant for mental health is that a 10 to one person is a 10 to another person. And they can be going through very different, very mm -hmm. objective levels of pain. But the, I, at the end of the day, it's what we feel. Yes. You know, it's what we feel. And if we feel a 10 out of 10, you know, depression, sadness, concern, anxiety, nervousness, if we feel you know, massive amounts of this, then it's real. And that could be caused from getting a B. <laughs> you know? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And and I love that you bring up the uh, the pain chart because we actually use that a lot of mental health, especially um, with children. But we started using it with adults because a lot of times adults don't know how to 
express their pain in a way that's, I guess, translatable to someone else. It's kind of hard for them to just say, well, I'm experiencing X, Y, and Z. But if you give them, it's kind of this cartoony, funny looking chart, then they go, oh, you know, actually, now that I think about it, I'm about here. And then you can say, oh, well, you chose a six. So tell me, what does a six mean? Like what, why didn't, you know, what is a six as compared to a five or a seven? You can start to have those conversations because as children, especially, um, we're, we're learning uh, what our emotions are how to express them, how to identify them. But we really don't, we don't have a class on where you sit down and say, okay, this is what anger feels like. This is what sadness feels like. And we don't have those conversations. So as adults, we're still kind of learning. We're still kind of like children in that and being able to be like, okay, what am I feeling? You know, we have primary emotions, secondary emotions, and then all those, those words, because, you know, you have like sad, mad, happy, scared, and then you've got anxious, you've got a static, you've got rage, you've got, you know, you've got varying degrees and so many things. And it's overwhelming, I think, in the moment for people to sit there and, I guess, really qualify what their experience is when put on the spot. So using those charts and just kind of looking at it is just tell me your story, you know, just tell me what, who you are and the essence of you and what resonates with you once they feel like they can trust me. I always tell clients, first off, don't trust me. Don't trust me. I mean, flat out, you don't know me, not yet. You know, let me earn that trust. And then when you're ready, just start telling your story. Tell a little bit at a time, you know? And then if you're not comfortable, don't share something. I'm not going to push you. You're the expert of your life. I'm not. Right. But, but what I can promise you is I'm going to sit here and I'm going to listen. And I'm going to be interested because I want to know. Mm. So if I got to pull out the chart, if I just have to be quiet for a full hour while you talk, whatever it is, I'll do that. I will meet someone exactly where they are. So in any tool that that's in your toolbox is great to help someone to move toward healing. Yeah, God, that's so good. I, I, uh, I realize also that this stuff is not taught in our schools. It's not, it's not talked about in our, in our, in the workplace. It's not talked about in graduate no. schools. Mm -mm. You know, we, we are, we are brought up with this idea of, you know, be good. Don't be bad. You know, the golden rule, do unto others. You know, these, these are important. There's, there's a place yeah. for those, yeah. but, but at the same time, it's like, when you feel rage, what, what do you do when you feel anxious? How do you, how do you deal with that? You know, when you feel nervous, mm -hmm. how do you work through those emotions? And I, and I feel like that's not something that we're ever, we're ever taught, at least in, you know, Western civilization or America or whatnot. And mm -hmm. it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate because we're sort of left to our own vices to figure out how to, to get that, to get that out, you know, and sometimes yeah. it's not always great. Yeah, absolutely. And a uh, great point. No, we're not taught that. Um, we're, we don't have like an emotional intelligence course that we all go through and say, okay, let's go through. And, and I love that you brought up the point about, we don't know how to deal with it. Sometimes we don't even know how to recognize what we're feeling. Like most of us are to the point where we don't even know what anxiety actually feels like. We don't even know what anger actually feels like. We disguise it under something else. Um, like for a lot of people, and, and I will speak um, from my experience of working with men, um, I was having this conversation earlier that men and women experience depression very, very differently. Mm. You know, women kind of fit the clinical uh, depression diagnoses and uh, with the crying and having trouble eating, eating more, eating less, sleeping more, sleeping less, um, 
loss of interest activities, all those kind of things. So it's easier to diagnose a woman with depression. But see, if a woman walks in with those symptoms, they'll be diagnosed with depression treated one way. If a man walks in with those symptoms, he's diagnosed with anger issues. Because, <laughs> well, and it's really interesting why this is because for men, um, women seem to, I think we're biologically wired as uh, maternal caregivers, nurturers, that we're relationship oriented. So we tend to kind of reach out to other people, you know, like, hey, girl, oh, my God, this happened. And he's like, oh, my God, I can't believe it. You know, all that. Like, that's kind of what we do. Um, and, and men, it's like if they're discussing a problem, it's just kind of like, oh, that sucks. Can you hand me a beer? You know, <laughs> it's just kind of. And it's just something that we don't, that men have not been given that safe space to talk about. It's always been kind of like for men, well, you know, you just buck up and you just be a man and you don't cry and you be strong all the time. And, and so they just stuff all those emotions in. And so that comes out as anger a lot of the times because there's so much pain that's built up that it has to come out somehow, you know? And so a lot of times you will have uh, people who are diagnosed with anger issues, aggression issues. Um, I found this a lot in corrections. A lot of my kids that had anger issues were struggling with depression, but it was misdiagnosed because, you know, men experience it differently. And so it's about knowing what you're experiencing. Cause they would say, no, I'm, I'm not, um, you know, I'm not depressed. I'm just angry. Okay. Well, why are you angry? I don't know. Okay, well, that might be good. And then we, we would excavate and delve a little deeper and find out, well, I'm hurting. You know, I've, um, I'm hurting because my father was never around. I'm hurting because I'm away from my family. I'm hurting because so I'm lashing out to protect myself, because that vulnerability is there. And so it's, it's so many parts. It's knowing what you're truly feeling. And then also knowing how to deal with it is mm. such a key thing. So it's a two-part process. So a lot of times when I'm working with clients, I first want to let's, let's really identify what's going on. Because somebody may have said you're anxious, but maybe you're not anxious. Maybe it's a post-traumatic stress mm. disorder response. Maybe it's a trauma response. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a you feel in danger. And so you're not just stressing about just random things. You feel you're having a traumatic emotional response to something that happened in your past. You treat that totally differently than you would something else. Physical example, if you break your toe, you're not going to, you're not going to go into the hospital and say, fix my leg. It's broken. They're going to go, no, it's a toe, you know, so we're just going to do that. But same thing too is like, okay, your leg is broken, but no, we're just going to focus on your toe. We're just going to focus on, well, you're a little bit anxious. So we're just going to treat that rather than, okay, well, wait, I have a whole broken leg. So the toe really doesn't matter. You know, it's, so it's really focusing on where is the actual root cause? Where is the actual issue that's causing this person distress? Let's learn what that is. And then we can learn how to deal with it. If we learn the why, the what, how, when, and where will come naturally. Mm. And, and how do you get, how do you get uh, folks to kind of open up to that and to feel comfortable and to peel the onion to really get to that, yeah. that core trauma? Because so much of the way that we interpret trauma and express trauma is in those negative reactions towards ultimately pain. Absolutely. So first and foremost, it's all about the relationship. You definitely have to create that safe space for someone. Um, so the first thing I will do is just kind of, you know, say, you know, hi, I'm, I'm Laura, you know, how would you like me to address you? Um, you know, thank you so much for, for coming and just kind of, you know, those, those pleasantries that you want to make someone feel welcome and say, uh, feel free that this is a safe space. You are welcome to share anything you feel comfortable with. I'm not going to press you beyond where you're comfortable. And then I, I do that disclaimer of don't trust me. 
you know, uh, take time, make sure you feel comfortable. And, and please, I ask that you're honest with me. If I say something or do something that's uncomfortable, please call me out on it. Let me know because I, I don't know. And I first off say, you know, you're the expert of your life. You are the expert of your experience. So I am not going to assume just I'm going to ask you everything and I'm not going to make any assumptions because I want to make sure I understand. And then I just ask them, you know, how can I be of service to you? How can I help you? And then as they start talking, then I'll just start kind of asking questions to say, okay, well, you know, it's interesting that you say that. And I really want to commend people. I always commend people for saying, thank you so much for the honor of sharing that with me. Cause I know you didn't have to. And I really appreciate that, that you felt comfortable enough or even if they cry, I said, thank you for your courage and vulnerability and showing that I really, really appreciate that. Um, and then definitely if they've done something well, I want to amplify that to say, Hey, first and foremost, do you realize how big of a step that was just to step in here? That is a first step to resilience. That is strength right there. And I just want to commend you for that. And so really just helping them to realize the strengths and the beauty that they come from, that it's not all bad, that there, there are little glimmers of hope and little embers in there. And I amplify those. And a lot of times when when you do that for someone, especially um, someone who's been through trauma, who's used to being hurt and burned and just, you know, over and over and over, when they finally hear something positive, it's, it's kind of like freaks them out. But then in a way, it's kind of like, well, I never thought of that to say, yeah, that is a strength that did take courage to pick up the phone and schedule an appointment and then actually to walk in here and then to share that with somebody you didn't know and you haven't been able to do that for 10 years. That's huge. Like, do you mm. realize how huge that is and the courage in taking a chance at going in to to be willing to trust someone? That's huge. You know, so it's celebrating the small wins is is a big thing on creating that that open space and also admitting I don't know everything. I will tell people first off because they'll say, oh, you're the counselor. You're the expert. No, I'm not. You're the expert of your life. I'm just along for the ride. So mm. I tell them, teach me. Please teach me. And I also give the disclaimer too. I will never fully understand. I can't. I haven't walked in your shoes. Mm. So I can only understand as much as you tell me. I will try to do the best I can. But I can't promise you that I can fully understand, but I'm going to do my best. So as much information as you give me, I'm going to take that and I'm going to formulate um, a perspective on it based on what you share with me and based off our mutual relationship. And I always tell clients as well, is that I, I ask them straight up, you know, do you feel comfortable in scheduling another session? And, you know, they may say yes or no. And I said, because either way is fine. You know, thank you for starting your journey with me. I hope that you continue it. But if not, you're on, you're on your way. And I congratulate you for that. So I always just want to lead with encouragement and end with encouragement and just give them that takeaway of hope and help them to think about the positive things that are going on and what they're doing well. Um, the last thing I'll say is uh, there's an old Hebrew proverb that I quote all the times. There's, there's nothing wrong with you than what is right with you cannot fix. Mm. And that really resonates with a lot of people. Cause then they think, huh? So there's not just stuff wrong with me. There's stuff that's right with me. And I'm like, exactly. There is your job is to find out what is right with you. Whatever you think is wrong is you have that, you have the antidote right there within you. You just have to find it. And my job is to work with you to help excavate it. Wow. So in order for someone to, to realize that they're suffering from something, I, they either, they have to self-diagnose or mm -hmm. someone has to come to them and say, maybe there's an issue here. 
there needs to be some some uh, unraveling, you know, some curiosity and some determination of something. My my question for you is how can how can we self diagnose mental health issues? How how can we do that? If we're um, if we're sitting in our car and if we're getting <laughs> a little bit too much road rage, how do we just, guilty? You know, <laughs> and your and your roads are big in Texas, by the way. I know. So our road rage is like like so, through the roof. So are the cars. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So if we're sitting there, besides road rage, I'm self-diagnosing right now, like guilty, like yes, I experience it. <laughs> I admit it. It is a limitation, but I'm working on it and I'm also recovering perfectionists. For all my recovering perfectionists out there, there is hope. I'm still working on it daily. But I'm not quite there yet. <laughs> so yeah. Um, so how to self-diagnose? Um, it's a great question. I think, uh, sadly, I think a lot of us are already doing that um, because there's so much information on like WebMD and um, all these other mental health websites that I think people are kind of going into analysis paralysis, <laughs> actually, um, because they're, they're looking at, and I think, and I believe it's called the Barnum effect. It's it's been a while since I've been in school, so don't hold me to that. Um, but there's an effect where people start taking on, oh, I have that, I have that, I have that. So it's kind of what people think of as like a hypochondriac. You know, oh. they read something and then automatically think, well, that's me, I have depression, or that's me, I have PTSD, or that's me, I have bipolar. And it's not about that. You know, let's not give it a name. Let's just recognize what it is. What, what am I feeling? What am I, what am I, you know, what am I experiencing? What am I going through? So looking, looking at that and saying, okay, so in this moment, if I looked at a two week period of my life, are there days where I just feel down? Mm. And what, what am I reasoning for feeling down? Do I have a reason? Do I have trouble sleeping? If I do, how so? Am I sleeping too much? Am I not sleeping at all? Am I waking up too much? What are my eating habits like? Am I eating regularly? Am I eating a healthy diet? Am I eating too much? Am I eating too little? So it's just looking at it as more of how are you living your life? Are you happy? Or let's say not even happy. Are you content mm. with where you are in your life um, regarding your thought process? Like what are your thoughts like? Do they lift you up? Are they positive? Are they forward thinking? Are they past focused? Are they in the present? Are they negative? Do they tear you down? What's your viewpoint toward other people? Do you tend to think positively and optimistically about other people? Like they can help you, uh, there's good in people, or do you tend to not trust people and tend to be like, no, I kind of view them as a, they're gonna hurt me, or uh, they're a jerk, or they're, I can't trust anybody. I mean, look at those types of things and focus on that and figure out what's going on, I think, before you really jump into putting a name on it. Because I think people over-label for example, uh, with uh, children for a long time, um, ADHD or attention deficit hyperactivity disorder um, was not very common uh, not that long ago. You know, it was just uh, the hyper kids were just kind of the troublemakers. And then all of a sudden it was like, oh my gosh, there's a name. So then everybody got diagnosed with that. So then all these children were put on medication for being kids. 
you know, kids do have high energy. Kids do have low attention spans when they have to sit somewhere. They're interactive. They're engaging. It's just they're sponges. You know, they just that's how they are, are absorbing. And it became kind of a convenience to have them sit there like zombies than letting them be kids and learning how to teach them from that perspective. The new trend now is that children are being diagnosed and medicated for bipolar Oh. And, and that's really a big concern because it's, they're looking at, well, they're erratic in their behavior patterns. Sometimes they're really hyper and tend to be impulsive and racing thoughts and, you know, talk real fast and everything, which is like a manic state. And then you have, well, some days they don't want to get out of bed. They're almost catatonic and they're not unmotivated. Oh, so there's depressive phase. So they're, so they're going from one end to another. So they must be bipolar. What child does not shift? many times throughout the day in their mood, especially in adolescence. Mm -hmm. It's just kind of a phase of life. It doesn't automatically mean they're bipolar or that something's going on. You know, it's like we have to separate what is normal or, you know, consensus normal of general life and what is outside of that. So really the way I look at it is self-diagnose, is this my normal? Is this, do I want this to be my normal? You know, if I don't, if it doesn't match up, then maybe I could look at potentially there's something else going on. Then maybe I could look at something. But being quick to label is so dangerous. And people don't realize, too, what once you are labeled by an insurance company, that follows you forever. So you may want to, you know, be very, very careful about saying, you know, if you really have depression, if you really have anxiety, if you really have that. And sadly, our world is still in the point of uh, stigmatizing people who are experiencing mental health. It should not be that way, but it's still the case. A lot of us are experiencing life and, and believing that it's it's this condition when it's 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 dealing with life. So it's like we want to make sure we're well informed before we really say I have X, I have Y, I have Z. If that makes sense. Yeah, that I mean that's so good. I I love how you brought up the, uh, the the Barnum effect. You know, this is really common in horoscopes actually, where some people they read the horoscopes <laughs> and they say yes, yes, yes. You know? It's so vague, <laughs> right? And and it's like a horoscope writer. I mean, I, I believe in you know to a certain extent. I, I believe in kind of cosmic energies, and you know, there's some coolness in there, and that's all good. But but at the same time, if we're too if we're too open to to uh, you know. To, to believe something, then ex we're going to believe in any, anything that we that we read or someone tells us. So I, I think there, I think to your early point is that we really have to self listen and we have to really kind of understand what it is that we're truly feeling on a daily basis, knowing that life is dynamic and there are ups and downs. And we're constantly mm -hmm. changing, just like the tide. Absolutely, yeah. And and the thing with being too open is you subject yourself to potential harm because if you start thinking, well. I'm an anxious person. I'm an anxious person. I'm an anxious person. Well, guess what? You will be. Mm. <laughs> if, if I'm a depressed so person, true. I mean, so I have to agree with Renee Descartes on this one. I think therefore I am. Our mm. mindset creates our reality. So if, if someone, especially this is common in depression, they think, well, I'm a loser. Nobody loves me. Even eventually they project that image out because their core belief is so strong. And so then it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy without them realizing that you're projecting you know, it's kind of like thinking about, you know, American uh, television show, uh, Saturday Night Live, Debbie Downer. You know, nobody wanted to be around Debbie Downer. She was a killjoy because every time somebody would say something, she would turn into something negative or some negative news. And so she was projecting that 
you know, just that repulsion from her was like, oh, I don't want to do this. <laughs> um, you know, I don't want to be around this person. And so when people just keep saying, well, I'm this, I'm this, I'm this, they become that, whether they realize it or not. It was the same thing dealing with my kids and corrections. You know, they had this mentality. I'm a criminal. I'm a criminal. I'm a criminal. So therefore they became that. And they were told, you know, millions of times, um, you're never going to amount to anything. You're only going to be this. You're just like so-and-so and stuff like that. So they internalize that. And then they externalize it through their behaviors and their actions. And so therefore, they actually self-diagnose themselves as society confirmed that diagnosis. So it was kind of sad on, on how that happens. But even if other people are not telling you something, but you know something about yourself, if you know I'm a caring person, then you tell yourself, I am a caring person, I'm a caring person, I'm a caring person, You just and you believe that, and you will be. I am successful. It's just mantras. Just tell yourself and just believe it yourself, and you will become that. I mean, it is amazing. The mind-body connection is so powerful. If you tell yourself, I mean, they've even done studies, I believe, in uh, with weight training that if you mentally connect yourself to the muscle that you're training, it will actually stimulate those muscles and those fibers to activate more strongly. So you actually will get a better result because mm. of your mental capacity. So, I mean, mind is everything. Knowledge is power. Acknowledgement is power. You know, just believing, perceiving, believing is achieving. I mean, it, it is 100% true. And, and this is not just coming from mental health pr practitioner, but also just as a human. If you believe it, you can do it. You will find a way. I love that. Where where can people find you? Uh, LinkedIn, I know you're on. Where else? So currently on LinkedIn. So in the process of uh, taking over the world, you know, with one beautiful soul at a time. <laughs> but um, so I am building a website. So I'll definitely keep everybody update on updated on that. So that would be at lauranut.com and lauranut.net. That's a bit of a tongue twister. Um, so feel free to uh, check that out. That'll be up soon. That will have all my avenues on how I can be a GPS to help you to get to your destination, whether we have to recalculate or just plug in a new destination, or even if we have to stop at QT, it's all good. I got you. Um, so I'm looking forward to hearing from everybody and bring all your questions and bring all your worries and we'll sort them out and get you moving. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you so much, Laura. I really appreciate the time. Absolutely. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Take care. Bye-bye.